Yep, test, test, test. And we're on. Hey, Steve Anderson's back from Columbia. Hey, good to have you back, Big Cat. Hey, good to be back. Sorry, I got ahead of the – I was a little behind the the game there with that. It's all right. Test call. It's all good, you know? Yeah. Hey, brought back your third gold medal from a World Archery event. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. And uh, good shooting. You know, you started out uh, with uh, a bunch of 10s. Finished with all 10s, had one arrow you didn't like in there, but the rest of it was all great. It was, uh, that arrow was acted upon by a higher power. Uh-huh. Or a lower power. Who knows? One of the two. Well, it was high. Okay. It was a high, high seven. Arrow. High arrow. Yeah, but the rest of them were all 10s. Yeah, I, like literally I, I, I broke that one loose and thought, okay, that's going to be a nine just out the top. And it was a seven massively out the top. Mm. Well, anyway. We're happy to have you back. Hi, I'm George Techmanchov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and uh, it's another Easton podcast. This is podcast number 31. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So thirty-one, uh, about 31 hours of, of uh, content here. We have remained employed long enough to do you know a, a bi-weekly-ish podcast 31 times. Uh-huh, yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll stay that way. So the... the uh, or is it bi-weekly or semi-weekly? Semi-weekly. Yes. I don't know now that you say it. Don't make me think about these things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mentally prepared. I think it's semi. It's okay. twice, you know, every... Like semi-annually. Yeah. Semi-annually means... Every two years. My understanding was semi-annually means <laughs> every six months. <laughs> uh-huh. And then biannual would be uh, every two years. Like bicentennial. Right. Right? I 200 guess. years. Yeah. So... Uh. Now that we're done with our uh, our uh, English lesson for the day, how about how about that Brady Ellison? He's throwing it down, throwing it down. Yeah, and uh, and timing is uh, not bad. You know, uh, it seems to me that uh, Brady's game has come up. He's better now than he was before London. Yeah, you, you can't not say that when he yeah. shot a six ninety seven. Yeah, and um, he's shooting the same. Level of scores as the very top prospects for the London games like Kuban Chan and Kim Woo Jin. Um, so from that point of view, awesome. Yeah. And uh, also awesome was uh, Colin Klimchek and Jake Kaminsky who made it into the quarterfinals. Um, and then you had uh, uh, Miguel Alvarino Garcia of Spain who is a past World Cup final champion in the gold medal match in the recurve men. Versus Brady Ellison and Brady crushed him seven one. Yeah, so that was pretty solid shooting. Yeah, there was um, also I mean Colin had a uh, he was shooting against one of the Koreans and shot 30, 30, 30, 30. Shot yeah. one twenty. That's the way to do it. <laughs> That'll get their attention. Yeah, you'd think a ninety would get you through, but it doesn't. You know, one twenty now is what you. <laughs> yeah, one twenty is what to you beat, need to beat the Koreans. So Colin uh, Colin actually went out to my friend uh, Hideki Kikuchi of Japan. Uh, Hideki is actually not on the Olympic team. He uh, he is officially out of the running, which I, I, I'm not sure if you knew that, but yeah, I, I didn't. I assumed he would have been in the running since yeah, he was there, since he shot that well. But no, he's yeah. he was the number four man um, uh, at that event from the standpoint of okay, the team so they allocation. Did take four. They did take four, and yeah. um, they took the the three the three Olympic team guys and uh, Hideki. And um, no, that's not a bad idea. You're gonna you need. Is he an alternate? I assume. Yeah, I'm going to assume so. So yeah, keep him shooting. Keep yeah. him, and with he's the well team. motivated. So yeah. you know, um, and shooting really well. So you know, he beat Colin Klimchek six four, and then he lost to uh, to Miguel six uh, two, and then finally lost to Ku Ban Chan of Korea seven three. But at least he picked up a couple of points on Ku. So that's not not no, nothing not, to be ashamed of. Not there, a bad you know. tournament. Pretty good shooting. Uh, another Easton sweep for the recurves, by the way which is kind of cool. All of them shoot next 10s. Um, Tanya Ting made it to the semifinals for the women's uh, recurve. And, She's shooting well. Yeah, but not well enough to have beaten uh, Wu Jiajing of China. Uh, Tanya went down 6-4 to Ms. Wu, who then went on to lose the gold medal match to Choi Misun of Korea. Choi taking that gold medal, and I'll bet, if I, if I were allowed to bet, which we're not allowed to do, and I'll explain that to you because you haven't heard the podcast with Tom Dillon. Oh. Yeah. Um, that that uh, Miss Choi is the top prospect for London. Oh, yeah. No, no question. For Rio. Yeah. Rio. Uh, sorry. 
here I am living in the past again. Yeah. For real. And, um, you know, for the bronze medal match, uh, Miss Tan did go on to, uh, to beat Gwendolina Sartori of Italy for the bronze medal for the recurve women. So a good performance all around. But, boy, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Chinese Taipei to try to win a slot at the uh, Rio Games as a team because uh, they, they don't have it. So so how many slots will be awarded in Antalya? You know, i got to look at that. It's something on the order of six or seven, I think. you got to finish the no top issue. eight. got to finish the top eight. That's what it is. They'll have no issue. Well, probably. But, you know, there's a lot of countries that don't have their slot right now. Uh, I'll give you examples. U.K., UK doesn't have one. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. France. France doesn't have one. So no, I don't think – I don't – I mean, nothing against those teams. I just don't think they can hang with Chinese Taipei. No. Well, normally you'd be right, but they're under some pressure. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. I mean, you know, obviously that's that's coming up. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be at that event uh, in, in Antalya. I will too. Yeah? I just committed to it yesterday. Great. So you'll be shooting. Yep. Great. I'll be uh, doing other stuff. I won't be shooting. Right. I'll be coaching, as a matter of fact. So that'll be that'll be interesting to, to wear a coach's shirt at that event. Very nice. For a foreign country not to be named. Yes. <laughs> Compound men. Uh, Mike Schlusser and Martin Damsville went down to one point in favor of Martin. And yeah. bronze medal match. Yeah, both of them had pretty... Um, yeah, not high scores. Yeah, low scores by their standards. Yeah, 142-141. I, so. I think it was a big step for Mike uh, in his comeback from finals you know yips or whatever yeah and then the gold medal final yeah that definitely was a a stepping stone for for mike yeah for the gold medal final it was sergio the sultan of smooth pony and rio wild and sergio took out rio by three Mm -hmm. so big win for sergio pony good score um rio shooting well you know making a podium again but uh not enough to beat sergio yeah sergio and I, i said i was actually doing some of the commentating for the with yeah. Carl? Yeah, with yeah. Carl for the live TV deal. And I said, you know what? Sergio's probably going to give us the same type of score he always puts down. And sure enough, that's what he did. You know, he doesn't really – you're going to get a very even-keeled Sergio Pony. A solid score. Yeah. Not necessarily a 150 yeah, all the time. Yeah, he's not going to drop a bomb on you, but he's also not going to – Not going to give up any. Yeah, he's not going to tank either. Not gonna, he's not going to hand you a seven yeah. most of the time. Yeah, who does that? Uh, nobody. <laughs> so – I didn't mean to. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so speaking of uh, speaking of shooting well, you and Rio in the quarterfinal shot a one forty seven each. Yep. Had a shoot off. Yep. Both of you shot tens. Yep. His Rio's was, was touching the X ring. Yeah. And yours was in the ten ring. Yeah, mine was like right on the ten line, and his was uh, right on the. You X can't line. be too upset with that. I, I know no, you are. I, shot, but, uh, I mean, you always. It, uh, I always am upset when I lose, but yeah. I'm never upset when I lose and I shoot well. When I give it up because I shot like crap, that's different. So in the quarter, same quarterfinal, Mike Schlusser crushes it, crushes it, 150. Yeah. Against Abhishek Virma from yeah. India, who has shot some great scores but didn't shoot a great score against Mike. No, but even if you look at it, that side of the bracket, it was Mike, Abhishek, Rio, and myself, and we were something like, we were down 13 points total. Yeah. The other side was down like 28 or something crazy. Yeah. We had a tough side of the bracket. Yeah. There. Yeah. No question. Sergio against his uh, compatriot, Michele Nencioni, and Sergio beat him by two in the quarterfinal. And then uh, Martin and uh, Gurwinda Singh of India, uh, Martin just beating him by two there. So uh, into the semifinals, it was uh, Sergio versus Martin. Sergio handily beating Martin by four. And Mike... And Rio and Rio beat Mike by one. So uh, that's how that stage for the gold came up with uh, Sergio and Rio and Sergio Pony taking the uh, podium there. Mike Looper was all excited, <laughs> which was interesting. All right, for the compound women, quarterfinal brackets had uh, Sarah Lopez, who's ranked number one in the world right now for good reason, uh, up against Toya Seren, who's also got a top ranking. Two-point win for Sarah Lopez in that quarterfinal. The other quarterfinal matches Lily Paunam of India versus Marcella Tonioli of Italy. Marcella taking that match by five. And then it was Sarah Sonicson of Denmark versus two-time champion of the world Albina Loginova. Albina shooting um, not too hot there, 139, but, you know, a 142 to beat her on any other day. If Albina was shooting well, you know, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have worked. But Sarah... Uh, 
managed to defeat Albina. And then Alejandro Uschiano of Colombia, who we've seen many times before, up against Crystal Galvin. And a two-point win for Crystal in that quarterfinal, sending her up against Sarah Lopez for the gold medal final. The bronze final had uh, Marcella Tonioli versus Sonicson. And a victory for Marcella. And a victory for Sarah Lopez in a, what had to be spectacular, a shoot-off. Yeah, it was a great match. I mean, you got to give it to Crystal. She really, really took it to the limit there. Yeah, when when uh, when Sarah was shooting tens and had the opportunity to pull away, Crystal, she just held on, hung in there. Crystal's getting it. She's she's working up to it. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah, she'll uh, she'll probably she'll probably knock one out sooner or later. So in that uh, in that shoot off, it was Sarah Lopez showing why she's number one. She shot an X. Crystal shot a 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, that gave the gold medal to Sarah Lopez. Yeah, it was uh, – you, you kind of had the feeling you could just watch Sarah's shots break, and you really knew the good ones versus the bad ones. Just, you could see it? Yeah, you could totally see it. And, uh, you know, Crystal was – I'll say she was kind of fortunate to shoot a 9 on her final arrow. You know, she mm-hmm. had the opportunity to win with a 10 – and you could see some serious shake. There was a double clutch pump fake, and then she cut one loose and and barely caught nine. You know, it was a it was a touch and red nine. And then they go to the shoot off, and and Sarah, you know, whatever whatever nerves she had, they they left with that fifteenth arrow, and her sixteenth was money. You know, uh, Marcella has had a bit of a dry spell um, outdoor podium wise since twenty thirteen. Right. So that bronze medal is her first uh, outdoor medal since uh, since that time. She beat the Indoor Archery World Cup champion uh, from Vegas this year, Sarah Sonicson. Um, apparently, uh, the weather was pretty good, so, you know. Yeah, it was, it, it was kind of tough. Better than practice day, though. Um, practice day was rainy, really wet, yeah, I gather. No, I didn't bother. I just stayed in the hotel. It was too bad. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. So, uh, the finals field was interesting. I mean, you'd get some. Was it downhill like it looks, or I didn't it looks feel that like way. it was downhill. Potentially, the I TV images are a little deceptive. Maybe it could have been a, a touch, but um, you know, at occasionally you'd get a, a wind picking up and moving a little left, and it was kind of hard to tell it, the way the shooters were a little bit protected. Um, they were protected when the wind moved one direction, and unprotected when it came another. And then the arrows were kind of vice versa. So. It was it was weird. Okay. Let's look at the rankings now for the World Cup for the recurve men now. We've got Brady Elson number one with a bullet. And uh and you know, that's that's a strong position that he's in. Obviously getting all the points for this World Cup and the one point that he earned from the last one actually only gives him one point lead over Chef Vandenberg for the number one slot. Yeah, it should probably be enough though. Yeah, yeah, because there's only one more event. Yeah, and yeah. you know if Brady's going to Turkey? Oh yeah. Okay, and then we've got uh, Wei Cheng Heng of, uh, of, excuse me, of Chinese Taipei, uh, who's third right now with twenty three points, and then we've got uh, Miguel Alvarino and Zach Garrett tied for fourth with twenty one points. Um, so if if uh, if things keep going the way they're going, it looks like it'll be Brady and Zach probably representing in the World Cup final this year. And then we've got uh, Kuban Chan, who's got eighteen points on the board. Hideki Kikuchi of Japan, who was in the last World Cup final. Uh, he is tied with uh, Ernesto Boardman of Mexico for seventh. Jay Talakdar and Jake Kaminsky are tied for ninth for the recurve men. And uh, looking at the uh, situation right now for the compound men, I think Mike Schluser's a lock. He's got 40 points. The next closest guy is Sergio Pagni with 25. Martin Damsbo is third. Yeah, with, Mike is uh, locked. Yeah, he's a, in. Yeah, no question because him nobody and, can catch him now. Yeah, he's got the he's got the asterisk next to his name, I believe. Yeah, well, I don't see it on here, but oh, there it is. Yeah, you're right. There's a Q on there for qualified. Yeah, he's the only one who is in the uh, men's ranks. Sergio second, Martin Damsbo third, trailing Sergio by two, one point behind them is Rio Wild. Then uh, Elmo, Demira Magakli is fifth, Peter Elzinga sixth, Michael Brosnan from. Oz is tied with Steve Anderson of the United States for seventh place. Woo. Yeah. So I would actually get the tiebreaker on that one. All right. So if you go to Turkey and if you shoot reasonably well, things look like you yeah, might make this World to, Cup yeah, final. Yeah, if I make a top 16, I'll probably be okay. All right. Good Good news there. I'm glad to hear it. I know last year you were a little disappointed with uh, 
being eighth, I think it was. So, yeah, I was eighth, and there yeah. was no. And only the top seven go because yeah. the home, the host, gets to uh, send somebody without yeah. qualifying. So, so this year with Martin in the top, you know, if, if he remains where he's at, everybody we'll moves up one, eight. right? Yep. Yeah, so that's even better. Technically, you're kind of sixth right now. Technically, yes. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So sorry I brought it up if you didn't want to hear it, but there no, you go. It's, a little less pressure now. Uh, well, it's whatever. Well, I, I've shot. Pressure's what you I've make. I've shot it. and not made it before. Yeah. I'm still here. All right. <laughs> Looking at the uh, recurve women, Tanya Ting, number one with 39. She's qualified. She's locked. Yep. And then Choi Misun is second with a 25. Ju Hai Bin of Korea, who is a junior team member. Uh, that has to be the result from uh, Shanghai. Yeah. She's second with 25. Wu Jiajing of China is 21 points on the board. Fifth place is Korea's Kim Chae-yun. Um, who so that's is their, That's the third Korean on the board? Yeah, that's, that's, so she's out of there if the other two are ahead of her, the other and, two Koreans. And she's a junior as well, She's right? a junior as well, yeah. Yep. Uh, Lee Chen-ying of Chinese Taipei is sixth. Maya Yeager of Denmark is tied with Gwendolina Sartori of Italy for seventh. And then right on the bubble there behind there is Kibo Bay, who's also a, a supernumerary. Um, and Deepika Kumari's ninth. She's tied with Kibo Bay. So uh, right now, the way things are looking, it looks like probably Tanya, well, Tanya Ting for sure, and probably Choi Misun. Yeah, probably Kibo Bay as well. Uh, yeah. Because she'll actually yeah. compete at the next event. Yeah. You're right, Chances and we won't see the juniors. Probably make a final. So Choi and Kibo Bay, and yeah, that would be a nice thing for Kibo Bay to try to win a World Cup final again, and uh, you know we'll see how that goes. Now the compound women, you got three locks. They are Sarah Lopez, Sarah Sonickson, and Crystal Galvin. So they are all going. Cool. The official Toya Ellison yeah. is on the board here. Toya Ellison is uh, still showing a Slovenia flag next to her name, but uh, the former Toya Cern, Toya Ellison, wife of of uh, Brady Ellison is um, number four and is in a three-way tie with Marcella Tonioli and Seol De Jung of Korea. Seventh is Lily Paonam. And then we've got number eight, Linda Ochoa Anderson. You know her, don't you? I know her, yeah. Yeah, her, she's a good shooter. Her, she's pretty cool. Uh-huh, I, yeah. And Janine Van Kredenberg of, uh, of South Africa is ninth with Albin Ologanova, tenth. So... Yeah. So what's interesting is, uh, with the exception of men's recurve, we have a a, a Dane in the top eight mm-hmm. of all the categories. Wow. So that's cool. That's pretty cool. It is. So tell me about um, what are what are the feelings about Columbia being over now? Because next year this tournament that's been in Columbia that's coming here to Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, I think we all liked Columbia. You know, with the exception of the you're pretty much flip of the coin whether or not you're going to be dealing with some food poisoning or not oh well that's probably (laughs) true anywhere though i mean you know Uh, (laughs) shanghai i've no you know i always uh i always take emodium with me and i've never needed it thank goodness knock knock yeah but dean alberga man every time in shanghai you know i hear a knock on my door and he's like uh oh dean what did you do you ate the hotel sushi again didn't you (laughs) Yeah, um, everybody likes Columbia though. It's a, it's generally a pretty favorable shooting conditions. This year the wind was weird. The word tricky gets overused by everybody in archery, so I don't I don't want to say that. Yeah, but it was uh, it was changing a lot, and the wind flags were were placed in areas that gave virtually no reading. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, but the field is is nice. It, lends itself to some some uh great scores uh there's you know enough to do around the hotel hotels are okay it's uh it's a fun it's a fun event i think yeah. everybody likes it yeah so uh, tom Dillon mentioned to me that they'll have the pan-american championship there in a couple of years and uh potentially future world archery events for columbia yeah because they've done a great job down there yeah medellin's an awesome city they yeah should, well salt lake is not a bad place either and so we'll look forward to hosting the world cup next year yeah i'm excited for that we just expanded the uh, astroturf at the archery center i don't know if you saw it while you were gone but uh they've expanded the art the astroturf and they put in a practice field so yeah yeah pretty cool tons of space yeah lots more space yeah, and i don't be... know where the finals are i don't know what the plan is yet for that i 
I've heard a couple of different places are possibly, you know. I heard they're doing them at Knockpoint back here. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right behind the uh, draw bench. Okay. No, they're not. I can tell you that (laughs) definitively. All right. Um, You know, I don't think you happen to hear it, but we had a uh, podcast with Tom Dillon last week, and Tom confirmed that they are, that World Archery and the IOC are working with a major gambling company to identify unusual gambling around archery matches to make sure nobody's throwing <laughs> matches. Does it happen? Well, no, it hasn't happened, so but they're they, going to make sure it doesn't. They're working with them to, to know that This no is an extension has. of the Clean Sport Initiative. I like it. Yeah. yeah. You know, look, no, this has been a serious problem in several sports, not ours, but in tennis, it's been a problem, right? Mm-hmm. You heard about the scandal in tennis. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's been a problem in some other sports. So uh, they're heading it off at the pass, making sure there's no problems. So while we joke about, I bet so-and-so will do such and such, we'll find different language in the future because <laughs> we're not betting anything. I suppose. And um, I also spoke to Bruce Cull. Oh, yeah. I need to call him. Yes, you do. And Bruce acknowledged that uh, drinking is not allowed on the line in Vegas. That doesn't mean that somebody didn't go and pound two Budweiser's before stepping down on the line, mind you. No. I, I'm not suggesting that happened in, in the men's compound or anything like that, but it's, in general. The NFAA board is going to meet, or the Vegas board, the powers that be for Vegas are going to meet. They are looking at uh, complying with World Archery uh, doping control. And they absolutely should. It's the highest payout tournament of the year. Yeah. Well, it's going to be $51,000 if Bruce has his way. He's going to add $1,000 every year. Which I like. I like the idea of fifty-one thousand dollars. You know, it's fifty thousand last year, and that'll be fifty-one, and then the following year, fifty-two. That's incredible because I think we all thought it was going to roll back to twenty-five. Yeah, that's why I thought that was pretty cool because Bruce explicitly said that the plan is to try to increase it by a thousand, and he called out fifty-one as the next number if he gets his way. We'll see if he gets his way. Also, and you heard it on our podcast first, four years of South Point is uh, in the cards for the Vegas shoot. So uh, the NFAA, or I should say the Vegas shoot, has signed a contract with South Point through 2020. So we know where we're going. That's kind of good. Yeah, I think we all, for the most part, I mean, we like South Point. There's no question people like the South Point because that's why there were 3,100 participants at Vegas this past year. I was trying to think of somewhere else in Vegas that would be more ideal. Mandalay Bay. Yeah, but, you know, you start running But who wants to stay there and, I mean, you know. You run into issues with, the place is not wanting the archery tournament. It's because archers are not great gamblers, contrary yeah. to what we just brought up a few moments ago. They don't gamble. They don't gamble compared yeah. to a lot they of They want people who are bad at gambling they but do. participate. They do, and you can't blame them because that's what they're in business for. <laughs> yeah. So the South Point is a good synergy for our sport, and I think that that's, that's going to work out well. For the next four years, you know where you're going to be. That's not necessarily the case for uh, Louisville. Um, Bruce mentioned that Louisville uh, may be moving. And we may be seeing a different venue for Louisville. Um, somewhere in that region, loosely defined as the triangle of Louisville, Indy, and uh, maybe even out to Ohio, perhaps. But, yeah, you know, um, let's remember that the Louisville shoot kind of sort of used to be Atlantic City, and, at least time frame-wise. And um, then there's the, uh, the first Dakota Classic coming up pretty soon, a, a week from now, I guess. Um, no, more than that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a little under, about two weeks, a little under a month. Yeah, so um, that's that's the next big event and the final stop on the three star NFAA tour, and it's ten grand that they're shooting off for. They used to be a car, now it's ten ten thousand. Yeah, ten grand is the participation type thing. If you shoot in all three events, you yeah. get to shoot off for ten thousand. Not a bad, not a bad thing. No, everybody likes ten thousand, and nobody ever seems to have kept the car anyway. You end up spending a lot of money on taxes when you get a car, so you Correct. end up with about ten thousand dollars by the time you turn the thing. So it all works out pretty well. Yep. Um, okay, we have a ton of listener questions that probably need to get to, so I'll start out with one for you. This comes from Robert. Question for the big cat: I have only one bow, and enjoy shooting three D and fifty meter compound feta. There's old school compound world archery event during the outdoor season i don't want to change my setup every week so what would put me at less of a disadvantage going with a micro diameter shaft for both event types or a 23 diameter arrow do any of the top pros use a 23 size arrow for outdoor 50 meter events thanks bob uh bob no one really uses a large diameter arrow for 
FIDA or World Archery 50 meter events. Nobody who's winning. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, realistically, what I would say is if you if you're going to be shooting a lot of 3D, set the bow up for 3D, um, and when it comes time to shoot 50 meters, you know, change the rest blade or whatever, change the arrows and shoot the bow. You know, all you, if that's the thing about 50 meters really doesn't require a lot of tuning. You just got to sight in. I mean, you can have a bow competitive in a matter of two or three ends, you know, that's all it really takes. So, um, if you truly want to have one that's set up and tuned and not going to switch, you know, from one venue to the other, just use a small diameter arrow, something, uh, you know, a light speed or a hex. I've talked about the hex. I really like that arrow. Um, those make good 3d shafts and they're, they're somewhat smaller diameter. They're about a 1964. So those, those will work well, you know, at 50 meters, it's not ideal like a pro tour or an ACE or something like that, but, um, they are a little bit lighter. So you kind of pull the best of both worlds there. All right. Good one. Next question comes from Reed. Why do the compounds not use the set system? Also, Steve, it looked like you and Braden were having a little too much fun during the gold medal match. This is archery. Dang it. No fun allowed. LOL. Reed. So uh, why do the compounds not use a set system? I can, um, go ahead. You first. Yeah, it's a matter of uh, straight score for us. And I think that's just because people don't want to see, you know, every arrow, when we're playing a game of don't miss, every arrow should count. You know, if you're going to see a bunch of one to one set ties, that's kind of boring. So someone truly shooting better, you know, you could miss three and have a, have a guy beat you with a 149, but those three came in one end, you know? So then if that was set system, you're, you're walking away, what would the score be? Uh, you know, it'd be 30, 27, it'd be, it'd be a six one yeah, or six three. I don't even know. So the, the point is you could actually shoot a higher score and still lose. Yeah. And, and that happens in recurve as well. Occasionally, but, not as often as people think. Right. But the difference is the precision a compound has, you know, you should be rewarded for that precision and punished for a miss. Yeah. That's a positive way to look at it. The official answer is more or less it's to have differentiation from recurve. If you ever want to have a shot at having compound in the Olympic Games, it's got to be a different sport than the recurve game. Right. And that's why it's uh, 50 meters and that's why it's uh, – that's why it's straight scoring. Although, you know, but the straight scoring part certainly plays to compound strength. The 50 meter part, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it'd be a fun game to play at 80 meters. Yeah. Venue problems then, right? You, yeah. you got issues. Well, use the, use the current target and shoot it at 60 meters. Yeah, but you, you know, you need a safety zone. You need to keep in mind the fact that uh, shooters, you know, who are at a club level might be turned off by a 60 meter, 80 uh, yeah. centimeter situation. You also have to consider, um, you know, just the the ability to show the sport really well. One one of the peeves I've got, not a peeve, but disappointments I've got is I don't think very much of what I've seen. I don't really watch the YouTube stuff too much, but very little of it shows the average person out there just how far it is. You notice yeah. that? It, yeah, you it don't really, always see the shot. You of have the, the shot of the shooter and the shot yeah. of the target. You don't get to see the arrow fly, and I think. If I if I wanted to see one area of improvement, because they do a great job, let's face it, mm-hmm. but one area of improvement would be to to try to show that distance. You yeah, know? get a shot from get that know, question all the time. Quartering shot that shows shooter and target all the time. People are asking, "How far is that? How far is that?" They can't tell. Yeah, it's always in the comments. Yeah. Okay. Next one comes from Robert. Robert wants to know, uh, gentlemen, my question is regarding the weight limits at USA Archery or World Archery events for compound. I believe it is sixty pounds. Is there a margin above the 60 pounds allowed at competition to account for varying accuracy in different bow scales? For example, my scale at home says my bow is 59 pounds. My club scale says 62 pounds. Thanks. Sincerely, Robert. Uh, no, there's no margin. I thought they had a one-pound margin. No. No one really knows. But you know what? If you are using one of those handheld scales and you have an actual 60-pound bow and you can't get that thing to read 57, you are... Well, I'm just telling it like it is. Don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. Because those things have got so much stiction in them that the slightest amount of torque, and you're going to get a low reading. Yeah, true. Um, let's see here. Ryan. Ryan has this question. More of a request. Um, 
from watching a number of archery competitions on YouTube, there seems to be a number of ways to shoot a bow and be a world-class shooter. You guys and John Dudley do a great job of getting info out there. I think it would be great if you two could pull rank on some of the world-class shooters, as many shoot Hoyt and Easton, like that matters, and because you know darn well we'd talk to Galantine anytime if we could get a hold of him, um, and get them in for long technical podcast interviews. The more diverse, successful archery voices we have out there, the faster us newbie archers grow the sport. Big congrats to Steve for being one of those world-class shooters. A huge thanks to Steve for helping set up my podium for 33-inch draw, and that's uh, Ryan Johnson sending that uh Saying that comment, well, I, you know, I'm more than happy to talk to shooters, but here's the thing that would require prep. <laughs> we don't do prep for the show. Come on. A Facebook live type format would be nice, you know, or, you know, people could write so, in. So we talked about like that. that. Isaac has talked about doing either a Periscope or a Facebook live thing. But the problem I pointed out was three quarters of our Target Archery podcast listeners. They're are, asleep. They're asleep. They're not in this time zone when we record. So I'm recording this at, uh, let's see, 4.52 um, Mountain Standard Time, uh, and three-quarters, literally, of the listeners we have are asleep right now. So, yeah, doing a live thing is hard. Doing something on tape or on phone, yeah, we could definitely do a better job of getting some more top shooters, and uh, we'll, we'll work on that. Thank you for the suggestion. George and Steve. I enjoy the podcast. Thanks for your fine work. Kevin says, uh, Kevin's in Oregon. He's been shooting compound bows for 22 years and focusing more on precision and target archery the past two years. He's shooting a 2007 Hoyt Tricon for hunting and casual indoor shooting, 280s indoor. For now, he wants to improve his form, shot cycle, and get coaching from a USA certified coach if he can. When he's able to, he'll get a compound target bow set up and pursue target archery, uh, field, indoor, and 3D more seriously. What advice would you give me, a target newbie, as I start shopping for a compound target bow and accessories? So that question comes from Kevin in Bend, Oregon. Um, first thing I would say out of what you said is is really vet out the coach you're, you're looking at. Uh, it doesn't take much to get USA certified, and, it, and having USA certification – doesn't uh, mean a lot to me. I'll be the first to say it. I'm a, I'm a USA level zero coach. You know, I am uncertified. And that's all I'll say about that. Just v- really vet the person who you're, who you're looking at. I'd probably go find a knowledgeable pro local to your area. Um, There's kind of, quite a few shooters in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, in Bend area, you're not too far of a drive from a number of people. Um, second thing would be uh, – I like to follow the principle of buy nice or buy twice. You know, if you're really into this, then let your budget show it. If you're, if you're kind of one foot in one foot out, then I guess, yeah, you'd be a little more frugal, but chances are, if you're, if you're wanting to do this long-term, if you're buying, you know, the, the mid-grade stuff now, you're going to turn around and spend more money buying the high-grade stuff eventually. So buy nice or buy twice. Okay, I, I don't completely agree with your point of view, and I'll just express mine and, and let our listener, Kevin, make his own decision. But I will say that you want to start by going to the USAA website and finding at least a level three because they, they're somebody who's at least committed to yeah. going through the system. Now, a level one and a level two isn't even a coach. That's just an instructor, and you can do that in a weekend. So a level two is, is you know, listen, there's level twos and level ones out there who are great coaches. Don't get me wrong, right? Yeah. But, you know, as far as the certification goes, got to start somewhere. Yeah. Find yourself a level three or a level four. If you like them and you can work with them, then that's the best situation. You know, if you trust your coach, you'll you'll be better off. So find somebody like that. Second thing, you know, um, a 2007 Hoyt Tricon is not an ideal target bow, but it ain't bad either from the standpoint of getting your fundamentals down, right? Your Your shot cycle, your mental game, your timing, your focus, your rhythm. And you don't need to spend a lot of money now to be able to work on those things. When the time comes to get a good bow, yeah, that's when maybe you want to spend the money because you know this is what you right. want. Yeah, I could agree with you there. You know, And so I agree. And, and the other thing is don't skimp on sights and rests. Do not skimp on those things, mm-hmm. especially sights. Yeah, I think know? that's where a lot of people uh, – I don't know. People will buy four or five Just, different rests, yeah. four or five different yeah. sites and spend, scopes. Spend and, once, cry once, and, you know. Yeah, exactly, you know. So, all right. 
Um, this one comes from our good friend Jim in Australia. George, a topic for your podcasts. How can you stop the USA archers, both compound and recurve, using dangerous draw techniques? Your podcast colleague Steve is a good example of an unsafe draw with a compound. Braden demonstrated that he is unsafe in Shanghai. Braden put one through a window in a stadium in Shanghai, right? Yeah. Uh, Brady is a good example of an unsafe draw with a recurve. Jim doesn't like the fact that Brady draws a little to the side. We need the USA to do something about it. Regards, Jim. Well, Jim, you're a good friend, and I like you, but you're off base here, I think. I looked at at Steve. I went and watched the YouTube. I I can't find it. I know. There's there's, uh, some discussion about how you had one come off the rest and you pulled eye to fix it. Yeah. But, I don't believe any of my arrows would clear the target. Right. Well, here's it, the point. It may look different because I'm tall. Here's yeah. I think that's part of the problem yeah, here. Jim, Jim sees me over the top of everybody else. The other part of the I'm problem next to like a five four Malaysian guy at China. The other part of the problem is uh, the TV angles are deceptive. I don't think Brady, for example, was actually he. You know, Jim was talking about a specific shot of Brady where his top limb follows through into the lane of the adjacent shooter to the left. Right. Well, first of all, everybody does that. Second of all, honestly, I don't think it was a dangerous issue at all. I don't think Brady is doing anything dangerous <laughs> yeah, per se. It's going to hurt somebody, but you know, Jim's entitled to his opinion and he's, he's one of the smartest guys in the sport and uh, he's kind of on a tear about this, especially regarding you, Steve. So yeah, I noticed um, Australia had like a, a circuit or something where they were really harping on, sky drawing it was like not not even once it was like meth you can't even sky draw once so i talked to tom Dillon. yeah yeah (laughs) so i talked to tom Dillon about this in our podcast about sky draw and and by the way listeners apologies for the audio quality on tom it wasn't tom's fault you know we had a bad line from columbia we called back a couple times weren't able to improve it so sorry about that i know it was a tough listen at times but uh um the gist of what tom had to say was you know, judges are going to look at this on a case-by-case basis and try to come up with a consensus on what's, you know, what's what. Now, let me tell you, I've been a DOS at several major events at uh, in Asia in particular. Um, the latest was the Asia Cup a couple months ago, a month and a half ago. And um, my vantage point gave me a very accurate uh, gauge, as it were, of whether people were sky drawing or not. And I'll, I'll tell you two things. As a DOS, my main concern is going to be a compound shooter versus a release a recurve shooter because of the presence of the mechanical release so if you're shooting a release you're you're under a little more uh, scrutiny i think from from people because you don't have total control over the string second thing is you know if the shooter is drawing say 20 percent of the draw and then they come down i'm not going to ding them for that right but i also wonder if some people aren't overboat out there and that's why we're seeing some people do that yeah, very well could be. I mean, I think a number of the women probably want to approach that 55-plus pound mark, and they're trying to get that. And I totally understand why. You know, yeah. they're trying to get the speed, and yeah. speed helps in the wind. And So my proposal is we uh, we have World Archery limit bows to 40 pounds. See, I say you go the other way. You take it to 100. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. All right, next one comes from Joe. Uh, Joe's question, actually more of a comment, Gents, I've recently purchased some Easton AC Pro Field shafts. No surprise, they rock, all in caps. What's surprising is that they're discontinued. What's the inside scoop, guys? I can only assume the main consumer demographic was largely made up of existing Pro Tour users that couldn't bring themselves to stray. Keep up the nice work. Cheers, Joe. Well, you know. Assumptions are correct. Yeah, well, here's the problem with the Pro Field. It was too expensive to make. Therefore, the price, the selling price was higher than what we wanted it to be. For another 20 bucks, you could get yourself into a set of Pro Field, uh, Pro Tours. And that's the bottom line. It was too close in price, too cro- too close in cost and price, and that's why. So yep. there's so people because it, it, it does rock. It's a great res- arrow. Yeah, the market just didn't respond to it because simply because of that. I mean, yeah. it was yeah, it was just too expensive to make yeah. and too expensive to sell at a price that was differentiated far enough from a pro uh, pro tour. Yeah, so. I would say where the majority of shooters are shooting a, a fifty meter style event just because that's a lot easier. I mean, worldwide, you're going to see a lot more target ranges than you are field courses, you know? Yeah. And the Pro Tour is a better arrow for... And the other thing is everybody's winning world field with Pro Tours. Yeah, I actually... I shot world field last time around with Pro Fields, and 
they did really well for me. And Wilkie's gold medal at the uh, World Cup at the sorry the World Games was with Pro Tours though. Yeah, Pro Tour. Well, yeah, the Pro Field didn't exist at the time. Yeah, and that so. you, you see a, a number of people shooting uh, ACEs, which is like shooting a pro well and that's the other thing the cost of the ace is actually on par with the right yeah so i mean you know that's the anyway joe thank you for your comment and (laughs) yeah we we agree that arrow rocks but uh too expensive so there you go daniel um in the uk uh says i usually watch most of the competitions on youtube via world archery tv i always wondered why are the winners checks in swiss francs is it so the archers can pay the money into their secret swiss bank accounts lol we have bank accounts. Okay, so the reason, Daniel, is that uh, World Archery is uh, headquartered in Lausanne, Switzerland. And uh, obviously, Swiss francs are used for payments uh, if you're headquartered in Switzerland. So there's the easy answer. No uh, no secret Panama papers. There's no papers. Panama papers here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. None of us have money, let's be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, Shannon uh, is saying... Hey, guys, and thanks again for a great podcast. Question regarding 3D arrows. I've noticed with my setups that fatter line-cutting shafts like the Super Drives tend to be slightly more difficult to tune and get consistently good groups out of than the smaller shafts such as the ACCs. Even at 40 yards, I can get slightly better groups with a smaller shaft, and as the distance increases, the difference grows. I know guys like Jesse and George Riles, Griv, shooting K50, have chosen to stay with their pro tours similar to their field setup, I assume for this same reason. What are your thoughts on the accuracy potential of smaller shafts inside 50 yards, particularly considering wind is very rarely a factor in a 3D shoot? And if you feel a smaller diameter shaft is advisable for that reason, what's your recommendation for an accurate, durable shaft other than pro tours? Thanks for your help, Shannon. Oh, and P.S. Congratulations, Steve, on a great Reading performance. I also appreciate the passion and emotion you showed in the uh, interview you did on Bow Junkie, wishing you the best. So, cool. Thank you, Shannon, for that. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. Um, quick answer: uh, the one reason that you can get a better tune is we've got thirteen spines of Pro Tours, and you can get the perfect spine for your setup. In fact, it's mm-hmm. fifteen spines now. So, well, it's going to be um, down the road. So, you're looking at a situation where, yeah, the smaller shafts tune better because they're more custom to specific setups. The super drives are a great arrow, but they come in more limited sizes. And as a result, you are going to be somewhat more constrained if you're kind of on the bubble in terms of a tune. Do you agree, Steve? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's going to just be something that requires a little more effort to get it to group very well. I have some super drives going out of a bow that absolutely pound the target at 50 meters. Uh, They shoot great, but you know, it's more appropriately spined for me as well. It's a 290 spine, and with my other bows, you know, I shoot about a 325 spine, so it, it works out fine for me. But, you know, for the average guy, um, I, I think you can get those larger diameter shafts to shoot well. just takes a little more work and maybe a little more experimentation with length and point weight. Uh, fletching is huge in that, too. Most guys use too small of a vein. Another thing is don't don't, don't be too shy about pulling out the wrenches and adjusting bow weight. Yeah, and, you know, bow weight down might help too, not just up. Um, But, you know, that being said, yeah, Jesse's shooting the uh, smaller diameter arrow, but you look at the the winners week in and week out, they're still shooting large diameter carbons. So I think that's – I still think that's the way to go. For For 3D. 3D. Yep. I mean, your, your average shot's like 38 to 42 yards. And there's a lot of foam pulling involved here, right? Pulling lines. A lot of foam pulling, yeah. <laughs> All righty. All right. So hopefully that helps that uh, question. Thank you very much and uh, appreciate the uh, kind remark about Steve's uh, performance in Reading, which we're, we're going to discuss before we close out the show. All right. Uh, next one's from Ed in North Carolina. Wake Forest, North Carolina. That's a big basketball town, isn't it? Yeah. Guys, love the program, especially the listener Q&A and technical info. Um, And by the way, if you do like uh, that aspect of the show, please leave us a review on on iTunes if you're a subscriber on iTunes. helps other people find the show. Also, if you have questions, send it to podcast at eastontp.com. That's podcast at eastontp.com. So here's the question from Ed. Um, If you could only choose one arrow for field, indoor, 3D, and FIDA, what would you pick? 
I'm shooting a Hoyt Podium Elite, 60 pounds, 27, blah, blah, blah. Interested in all the argument. So he, you know, um, what's the one arrow that rules them all? I'd go the ACC. You know, I would say ACG. That would work too, either one. Yeah, I would say that. Now, why am I saying ACG? Tends to be smaller than most ACCs. Comes in all the spines you need for the most part, especially if you're shooting a shorter draw like uh, like Ed here, 27-inch draw. And um, doesn't cost as much as the high-end stuff like the Pro Tour. And uh, works pretty well across all the disciplines. Right. Also, um, you can use it in places, um, and this isn't so much a big deal in the U.S., but you can use it in places where you have a multi-use field that doesn't allow all carbon. Yeah, see, my my other my all carbon choice would be Lightspeed 3D or the Hex. Carbon one. Yeah, that too, maybe. I, I would like something, you know, he said indoor, so I would go Lightspeed 3D probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little more diameter. But, you know, he, he wants to do it all, right? Field indoor 3D and uh, world archery, so. Yep. Um, he's currently shooting Easton X7s with three-inch veins. What do we think of that choice? Great choice if you don't have a ton of money to spend and nothing more accurate indoors. Um, so that covers it for Ed's question for the most part. Jonathan is um, saying, hello, thanks for the podcast. Keep it up. What factors influence fletching performance? I know total surface area is a big factor. I think I'm correct in saying it governs the spin rate. Not exactly, but we'll talk about that. I was wondering more about the side profile of the fletch and its leading edge size and angle and the trailing edge, I suppose. If you compare a short high profile fletch to a long and low fletch, like the French use, for example. Right. The surface area is probably similar, but the leading edge and profile will have changed. Yep. Likewise, three large and four small fletches may be similar in surface area, but the other factors will have changed again, especially the leading edge. You may have 33% of it more on the four fletch. How can these characteristics be manipulated? Well, first off, we've got to talk about offset or helical. You know, that's a big one because you could have the same vein put on straight and the same vein put on with a little bit of offset or a little bit of helical, which is not the same thing, and get a completely different result. Uh, and it's just a factor of how much drag do you want, which is a factor of how much speed do you have and how much energy does the arrow carry. Heavier arrow can use more drag. Lighter arrow needs less drag. Heavier arrow with more drag will correct about as fast as a lighter arrow with less drag because of the mass involved. Interesting. Total surface area is a big factor, but the more height you have, the more wind effect you could get. And um, also the more efficient the vein will be from the standpoint of drag. Okay? Why am I saying that? Because you get turbulent flow along the arrow shaft, and this is going off into the weeds a little bit, but you got to have enough veins sticking out of the turbulence to help steer the arrow. Right. And um, you also have to have a low enough vein not to cause any interference leaving the bow. Right. Right? You don't want it touching the, the, the rest with either a compound or a recurve. So um, lots of things you can do. The other thing you got to consider is weight, mass weight. Because when you have four veins, for example, it's going to weigh more than three veins. And uh, so all of that's a factor. And he wants to know if we could do videos on the Easton YouTube channel to demonstrate the answers to some listener questions and explain them on the podcast. Because some topics need the visual in addition to the audio. Totally agree. And you owe us. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting to do that one. Yeah. Get it done. We'll, we'll try to get that in. Um, got one more here. And then, uh, no, we got two more. Uh, this is Warwick. Warwick's in Australia. Hi, fellas. I've not been able to get reliable info from those in the know regarding the reasons as to why the Hoyt WA pros and field archery pros are shooting Podium X instead of Hyper Edge. I've read and seen people state the Hyper Edge is so stable to use. Is it that the two bows have been designed for specific target applications? Big Cat, can you please elaborate? Mm. By the way, that Hyper Edge is a nice looking bow. Yeah, it is. And it's different than what, if you go back to, I don't know, 2003. You know, the first year of Ultra Elite, Pro Elite, um, those platforms aren't a ton different from what we have today. You know, they're using the XT2000 limb, uh, similar cam systems. So they're not a lot different. About 2009, the Vantage came along with the longer riser, um, and that's kind of what the bows have evolved to today, the, the podium at least. You know, it's uh, it's evolved to, from that. And whereas the Pro Edge is significantly different, well, 
you know, you get used to driving one car a lot and you, you tend to prefer that car over the others, I would say. So, you know, for me personally, um, number one, the draw length on the hyper edge doesn't go long enough, but number two, I, I'm pretty comfortable with what I have. I don't think I'd look for a reason to stray. And I think a lot of guys would, would, you know, have the same reasoning there. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you know, some guys have found a bow that aims too good can be hard for, you know, hard to, to execute sometimes. So I, I don't think that's the issue. I don't think anyone picks up a bow and goes, wow, it aims too good. I better look for something that doesn't, but you know, it, it can, with a, it can subconsciously lead you to something different, you know, some other different reason oh. as to why you prefer one bow or the other. Okay. I, I, I think I can accept all of that. The, um, the only thing I could interject here is that the hyper edge has more of a parallel. Yeah. It's a past parallel. Yeah. Limb. Past parallel limb, which reduces greatly reduces the amount of feedback you get from the bow on the shot. That too. Yep. And I think, um, I don't know about you, Steve, but I know a lot of shooters tell me repeatedly they need that feedback from the bow. That, that the bows like the podium, which are designed with a more traditional vertical aspect, give them the feedback that they need on the shot. Yeah, I think, and I mean, I don't know if feedback really matters to me. I think... Uh, it does to some, though. Yeah, it does to some. I think I know where the shot's going to go, you know, but that doesn't mean I can change it, you know. So having feedback is nice, but it doesn't make me shoot better. So I, I, I liken it to driving a sports car versus driving a Cadillac, you know, um, the sports car gives you lots of response. You can feel the road. You can you mm-hmm. can feel what's happening through the tires, through the steering. The Cadillac kind of isolates you from the road, and the Hyper Edge might be more like a Cadillac in that regard. Could, yeah. Could be. Okay, so hopefully that helps. One more here is uh, Gents. Question for Linda's husband. Which of your older brothers has been a greater inspiration in your life, the superhuman quarterback with the IQ of Forrest Gump or the unabashedly confident engineering genius that blew his knee out jogging in co-ed casual league soccer? Happy birthday in advance. And wow. this is from your brother Brian, as a matter of fact. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's my brother. He's the quarterback Forrest Gump one. With the IQ of Forrest Gump. Okay. <laughs> yes. But I see here that he's a... Uh, He's an investment and broker guy, so he can't be that bad. Yeah, he, uh, well, yeah, he does uh, commercial realty. And he so. looks like he lives in Spokane, which is a pretty cool place. He's actually moving down here in the next few months. No kidding. Yeah. How so. cool is that? The Anderson clan making a move into Salt Lake. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we got big plans. Nice. We we uh, we specialize in nothing, but we try to excel at everything. The Anderson so. Brothers Incorporated. It's actually Anderson Brothers LLC. Oh, nice. Yeah, really. All right, good. <laughs> All right, let's take this back to uh, let's take this back to talking about um, the tournament that took place before you went and won the gold medal in the team round in uh, Colombia, and that's oh yeah, Reading. That's an important tournament to you. Yeah, it's like the one that's uh, dearest to my soul. All right. <laughs> so um, before we get into Steve and Reading, where you shot the second highest score ever there, by the way, by anybody. Um, Skydraw came into play again. We talked about it with Tom Dillon. Apparently, somebody got tagged. A guy shot an arrow into the air, and it came down and hit a guy right in the cell phone. Yeah, at Redding. Yep. That's did. lucky that it hit him in the cell phone and not in the, in the femoral phone. artery or something. Correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, the year before in Redding, someone actually got shot in the leg. So Goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, – I guess you have to assume the risk when you're stepping out to play. Well, sure, but I mean, you know, let's It'd face it. It'd be nice if people would draw the bow safely. That would yeah. be better, yeah. Yeah. So, All right, Redding, so how was the weather? Uh, we got dumped on one day, uh-huh. you know, some serious rain. Um, and yet you go through that whole course, you dropped a total of three points. Yep. Only second only to Jesse Broadwater who dropped one. Yeah, a couple of years ago. A few years ago. Yeah. So you get up there and you, you got a shoot-off. You yeah, three way shoot off with a friend of yours, Henry Bass. Yep. And who else was in the shoot off? Uh, Chris Perkins. Oh, Chris Perkins. Okay. Yeah. So uh, three heavy hitters. You know, Henry's no slouch. Yeah, Henry's he's working been up. In a, a, he's working up in Oregon now, I gather. Yep. And you and yourself and uh, and Chris from Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, you shoot off, and yours is off. Just a skosh. Yep. Henry wins. Uh, Chris is third. So that's that. You know, it's the second time I've been in the first place shoot off, and the second time I've lost. So that kind of sucked. You know, I, I felt like with the score I had, knowing those guys had to be clean on the last day, I missed one on the last day and I had a one point lead. So I knew they had to be clean. 
And honestly, I didn't think they would. That's a, it's really tough to clean a day at Reading, regardless of where you're at on the course. Yeah, you're shooting up to 101 yards. Yeah. You're shooting on targets that are as close as what? Four. Four yards. Can you even get the arrow to straighten out in four yards? Uh, not really. you got to figure it out. Challenge, yeah. You shoot yeah. it for about 45 yards in your money. Because you get parallax inversion. Yeah, so you put the sight tape at 45, cut it loose, pretty hard to miss. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would have guessed walking off the course, because you don't know until you get back and everyone else gets back and turns in scorecards. But I would have thought three would have been good enough to win. So hearing I had to go to a shoot-off, you know, I kind of sank a little bit. And then uh, we had the team shoot off, and I, I made a really good shot there. And um, we were tied for, like, ninth place or something. But, um, you know, that one was closest to center. It was a great arrow. And uh, come the individual shoot off, I broke literally an identical shot and just had a little change in wind, I suppose. And it was uh, a hair out the right, good enough for second. So whatever. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that everybody uh, that saw your interview um, when you came off the course knows how emotional you were and how passionate you are about it, and uh, great job. Thanks. Outstanding shooting. Yeah, it was cool, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it was. It, it is what it is, you know. Henry could say the same thing had he lost. You know, he was in a first-place tie before uh, with Chris Perkins, as a matter of fact, and, and Chris beat him, and then um, – so, you know, he got his first Reading win, and I still think eventually I'll get mine. Maybe not, and that's okay. Yeah, you will. Um, but, you know, it was it was pretty funny. Henry and Chris and I were all tied for fourth last year, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's the same bunch of guys yeah. consistently in there. So congratulations on that one. That was uh, that was good. Thanks. I've got to go to uh, I go to the European Champion on Friday, Championship on Friday. I uh, just looked at the weather for Nottingham. Rain, 60. Rain, 60. Rain. 64, rain 62, rain 62, cloudy 62, rain 62. How about the wind? Uh, it doesn't say. Let's see here. Wind. Wind forecast. Ah, well, uh, 10 miles an hour, 11 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, 9 miles an hour. Manageable. 6 miles an hour. Yeah, manageable. Uh, not as bad as Copenhagen, I gather. No. I've been told uh, reliably, meaning that Tom told me that he's been told, <laughs> you can get four four seasons in one day in that place. Yeah, so I'm looking forward it. to it. I haven't been to I haven't been to the UK since the London Games. Are you announcing or coaching or? Both? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a little complicated. Awesome. I'll uh, I'll be packing multiple shirts and all my Gore-Tex. So anyway, looking forward to that. That's going to be the final qualifying tournament for uh, for Europe, as we mentioned way back at the beginning of the podcast. And uh, pressure's on, man. Pressure is on. The French are going to try to to get. A, I mean, there's going to be a lot of heavy hitters trying to make a slot there. You know, not so easy. Yeah. So, I mean, beyond the fact that it's one of their bigger tournaments for the Europeans, they really they get so, they get behind that European. Well, and here's the other thing you got to consider: um, it is often a harbinger who does well at the Olympic Games. Back they in '92, Sebastian Flute won that thing, and ended up winning the Olympic Games. Back in 2004, um, Marco Galeazzo. He won that thing, and then he won the Olympic Games. Mm. Back in 2008, Victor Rubin did well at that thing, and he won the Olympic Games. So, right. so you, can't, uh, you can't just look at it from the standpoint of it being the European Championship, which is a big deal. Right. But you also got to consider that it's the European Championship before the Olympics, which often tells you who's going to do well at the Games. All right. So if we were at an approved betting grounds and we were <laughs> placing wagers on, on, uh, on a shooter. Mike Schlusser is going to win in the men's compound category. That's uh, okay, I get behind that one. Um, women's compound. I, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe Toya. Yeah, I'd maybe go, yeah. maybe the diva. I'm gonna go with Toya. Okay, I think the diva will medal. Okay, all right. That, that's uh, our our buddy uh, from the UK, Andrea. Andrea Gales, or Gallas, as some people call Gales. Andrea Andrea Gallas. Or um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think here. What what else we got in that? Uh, well, you're going to have Alban. Alban is going to be there. The Danes the will Danes. be there. Sarah, yep. Sarah will be there. Um, I think you got Erica Anir shooting there now. You got uh, you got a lot of good shooters. Um, Maya Yeager. That's yeah. recurve. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so let's pick recurve women. All right, recurve women. Um, man, that's another tough one. Maya right? Yeager's the, the 
probably the solid. Yeah, yeah she'll do well. But you know what? Germans. It's on home turf for the UK. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, you know somebody from the UK do well. I'm gonna pick one of the German women. Oh yeah, Lisa. Lisa's shooting well. Um, you know for sure. Er- Elena. Elena could mm-hmm. shoot well. Uh, we could see somebody from Italy, Gwendolina, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's not to mention other talent that you know maybe we haven't seen on the world circuit, but is going to come out of France, going to come out of Italy, you know. So yeah, lots of opportunity there. Okay, women's compound uh, we already mentioned. So recurve men, recurve men. Uh, you know our boy from Spain that did so well in the Colombia final against Brady. He's got a good shot. Yep. But you've also got, um, you know, Larry Godfrey's going to be doing his best. You've got uh, Chef. Mm-hmm. Chef's solid, you know, right now. I think Chef could do very well. I think we could be seeing good things out of uh, out of the uh, Orange Boys. I'm going to go with uh, Rick Vanderven. Okay, Rick's got the experience and he's mm-hmm. done it before. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say Chef. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would go with Chef as well. I just think. Uh, you know, Rick, we've seen a lot of Chef lately. He's, yep. been, he's been throwing down, and, yep. and maybe Rick's flying under the radar. Yeah, I, I predict at least, I'll put this this way, quarterfinals, I think we'll, good chance we'll see maybe Mauro Nespoli in the quarterfinals. Good chance we'll maybe see Chef in the quarterfinals. Good chance yeah. of seeing Rick there. There's yep. a good chance that we'll see, um, you know, um, Mr. Alvarino. And um, I think we'll probably see one Brit rise to the occasion, and it might just be Larry. I could get behind that, yeah. Okay. So, and who's the younger guy from, from GBR who's shooting well? Is it Patrick Houston? Yeah, he's yeah. been, yeah. I, so I don't he, know who their team is. Yeah, I don't either. But, you yeah. know, depending on who's on the team, of course, for GBR. Yeah. Um, so, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount Pat Houston either. So, I think it's going to be a good tournament. If the weather holds uh, reasonably well and the wind's not too bad, I think we'll see some good scores. Sometimes yeah. in the rain, you see good scores. 11 miles an hour is not a bad wind. It's manageable. Yeah, because that's... I mean, that's generally the top end of And then that. let's hope for some sunshine for the Continental Qualifying Tournament, which immediately follows. Ah, uh, let's muck it up. No. Let the tough ones rise to the occasion. I'm bringing my Gore-Tex, but that's it. <laughs> just <laughs> going to go out there and Gore-Tex. Okay. All. Here was my other question for you I had yeah. earlier. Yeah. Your prediction to win Rio not named Choi Mi-Soon in women's recurve. And not, not Korean. Boy, that's a tough one. I will say, based on what I know right now, I will say that my first choice might be Tanya Ting, mm-hmm. since you said no Koreans. Right. Uh, I'll give you maybe uh, a few people, and I'm, I can't do justice to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to forget somebody, or I'm going to overlook somebody. I can't give you a definitive answer. But what I can say is, whoever it is, will have earned it without a question in my mind. I don't think you walk into There's the going to be four final. people walking out of the <laughs> Olympic Games. There's going to be four people walking out of the Olympic Games who are pretty happy, right? Okay, six, right? Yeah. And they'll all have a medal, and they'll always be Olympic champions. Yeah, pretty exclusive club, an yeah. Olympic medalist. Yep. So sorry for my non-answer answer. I have I have my personal thoughts on this, but I'm not close enough right now to know for sure who's got the fire in the belly to make it happen. So I'm going to say, yeah, Tanya Ting is the easy choice right now from the non-Korean perspective. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, right? Maybe Antalya will be telling too. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. Antalya will probably be telling because um, it's close enough that we'll see who's dealing with the pressure, who's starting to peak, and mm-hmm. who's shooting well. And... I'm more interested to see what happens with this American team situation right now. You know, that's going to be an interesting one. The Gator Cup will be the deciding factor for the final Olympic team selection, correct? Yep. Brady's more or less a lock for the men. More or less. Um, Then you got got Colin, you got Zach, and you got, um, is it uh, Jacob? And Jake Kaminsky, that's right. Jake Kaminsky's up there. So, you know, no telling what's going to happen there. I expect Brady to make the team. The rest of it, I don't know. It's yeah, it's cool. I mean, they're going to be 
They're going to finally have a team selected here in a couple weeks. Did you so. see that crazy video that USA Today did with Mackenzie Brown? I didn't watch it. No. Oh, it's amusing. So go to USA Today's website and check it out. It's uh, it's it's an odd one, but Mackenzie, you know, comes across okay. So I'll check it out. Yeah, Mackenzie is, I think, uh, solidly in there, and then we've got a you know a couple of other prospects, but nobody nobody's got a lock that we know of right now. So not looking good for Katuna though. From what I gather, yeah, no, I don't know. Points wise, yeah. So we'll have to see what happens there. As far as other countries go, um, you know, uh, the Brazilians have chosen their their finalists. Marcus Dalmeida is among them. The interesting question, and I discussed it with Tom Dillon, is: Does he think the home team has an opportunity to medal? And the answer is, you know what? If mixed teams had been in this thing, then absolutely. But the way it is right now with no mixed team in this particular edition of the Olympic Games, no telling. And that was another piece of news from Tom Dillon um, in our discussion is that the odds of a mixed team for, for Tokyo are pretty much certain or close to it. As, as certain cool. as you can be four years out. Right. How do you put it? it? It would be very strange if it weren't in. Something odd would be going on if it weren't in because they've met all the requirements and they've gotten sort of a commitment, but it's going to be decided right after Rio. Cool. So, yes, cool. And, you know, um, we talked about, we were frank about it. We talked about uh, the political problems in Brazil, you know, with the impeachment of the president. Yeah. We talked about the health potential issues. Um, Tom was not shy about saying, yes, there are going to be problems. But he was also quite clear that problems are there to be overcome, that the odds of the problems causing a big problem for our sport are very low. There's going to be samba in the stands. There's going to be excited spectators, and there's going to be some happy people going home with Olympic medals. And, uh, I, you know, I think that they're going to be relieved when it's done, and they're going to be looking forward to Tokyo. That's my honest assessment of what's going on there. Very cool. Yeah. So for now, I think that covers it. Uh, just another reminder, if you're subscribing to us on iTunes, please do leave us a review because that makes it a lot easier for other people to find the show. And um, questions come to? Podcast at eastontp.com. So Steve Anderson can be found on Twitter and Instagram at steveanderson88 and on Facebook at facebook.com slash bigcatarchery. All right, so there you go. For the very social Mr. Steve Anderson, I'm George Tekmachov, and that is... End of show. End of show. <laughs>